Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Clockwork Aranya podcast. I'm your host, Finley Kroboda, the guy behind Clockwork Aranya, and today I'll be telling you the story of Euro 2008 and specifically how the Netherlands got on there. It won't just be my voice you'll be hearing though, I'll also be interviewing Jeroen Janssen, one of the guys behind Total Football Festival. I'll be speaking to him about that festival specifically, and also about his memories of Euro 2008 itself. Before that though, let's give you a bit of context to the tournament. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know a fair amount, but I'll go through it anyway. So Marco van Basten was the head coach at the time, might have heard of him, fairly big name, and... He'd been the manager for the 2006 World Cup already, where the Dutch had a disappointing tournament. They were crashed out in the last 16 to Portugal in a match that contained just the 16 yellow cards and four reds. Yep, good fun. But nobody minded too much. Van Basten had claimed throughout the tournament that it was largely a trial run for Euro 2008. Due to the young nature of the squad, he'd already made the decision to prioritise the likes of Wesley Schneider, Ian Robin, Raphael van der Vaart, yes, they were young once, over the more old guard of Clarence Seedorf and Mark van Bommel. However, if the 2006 World Cup was considered a trial run, then Euro 2008 qualifying didn't really show enough improvement to justify that. Uh, the Dutch had a fairly straightforward group on paper. They had Romania, Bulgaria, Belarus, Albania, Slovenia and Luxembourg. It wouldn't be a huge ask to expect the Dutch to win every game in that group. However, they won eight, drew two. The first match they lost was away to Romania in October, which was a 1-0 defeat. And the second match they lost was against Belarus in the last match day. In all fairness, they had already qualified, but still, seeing your team lose to Belarus is never a particularly encouraging sign. So they ended up finishing second in the group, behind Romania. And upon the draw for the group stages, they ended up getting Romania again. You'd think that was bad enough considering how they struggled against the side in qualifying. What made things worse was the other two teams in Holland's group as well. The World Cup finalists of 2006, Italy and France. Yep, hooray. So heading into Euro 2008, with that group, expectations were about as low as it can be really. People considered France and Italy big contenders for the tournament that were surely just going to brush aside this inexperienced and largely unbalanced Holland side. It also didn't help the order of the matches for the Dutch. They had Italy first up, France second, and Romania last. Maybe that could just be a nice consolation, hey? Well, as you may already know, that's not how it went at all. So, let's get started with the first match. Holland had Edwin van der Sar in goal and captain in the side. A back four of Giovanni van Bronckhorst, Jonas Bataisen, Khaled Bularus and Andre Oyer. In holding midfield was Orlando Engelar and Nigel de Jong. Raphael van der Vaart was playing in the number 10 position, flanked by Wesley Schneider and Dirk Kaut, and playing up front for the Dutch was Ruud van Isteroy. Italy, meanwhile, had Buffon in goal, a back four of Panucci, Barzagli, Materazzi and Zambrotta, a midfield of Perlo, Ambrosini and Gattuso, and Cameronese, Luca Toni and Dina Telly as a front three. The first 20 minutes was a fairly quiet and even affair. Uh, Italy worried the Dutch on a few occasions, with Dinatelli and Tony causing problems and not going far off themselves, before Ruvan Esteroy had a chance of himself when he picked up Dirk Kaut's through ball and tried to round Jean-Louis Buffon, staying on his feet when being caught. What you get for fair play is a goal, about five minutes later clearly though, and a controversial one at that. Yes, the Dutch took the lead in the 26th minute, 
when a Wesley Schneider long-range shot in the aftermath of a set-piece went through all the defence and straight to the foot of Ruud van Nistelrooy, who tapped in. However, looking at replays, it was abundantly clear that he was offside. If VAR was around back then, it would have ruled the goal out and it wouldn't have been particularly controversial. Either way, the Italians did not take that particularly well. They were frustrated, irritated, and the Dutch just played to it perfectly. They decided to sit back and allow the Italians to come onto them. This worked a treat as just over five minutes later, Giovanni van Bronckhorst dramatically cleared off the line from a corner and decided to continue making his way up the field. What resulted was one of the goals of the tournament and, well, one of the best goals Holland have scored in the 21st century. Yes, after clearing off the line, he made his way up the field, received the ball just over the halfway line, put an early cross into the back post where Dirk Kout had got to. Kout subsequently headed it back across goal where Wesley Schneider was to volley in from a tight angle. Just over half an hour gone and it was 2-0 to the Dutch. Things could have even got better before halftime as Van Estroy had the chance to finish the game after being played through by a stunning ball from Schneider. However, Buffon prevailed in this one-on-one encounter. Still, half-time, the Netherlands 2, Italy 0. Is this too good to be true? No, it wasn't. Unsurprisingly, Italy came out in the second half much more attacking, much more proactive, well, because they desperately needed a goal. They'd brought on Alessandro Del Piero for Di Natale, and he immediately forced Van der Sar into action in just over the hour mark with a shot that Van der Sar made a smart save from. He then had another chance minutes later when he was picked up by Perlo, but this time he hit wide. Luca Toni was the next to miss as he had another clear opportunity, one-on-one with Van der Sar. He tried to lob the ball over the Dutchman, which he succeeded in. However, he also cleared the bar pretty comfortably. Just before 80 minutes, Van der Sar made one of the save of the tournaments. Andrea Perlo had a free kick, not too far out on the left-hand side of the box. And, as you may know, he's half-decent at them. So he curled the ball in, went for the top corner, and somehow Van der Sar saved it. While Perlo and his teammates were wondering how on earth this had happened, the Dutch decided not to linger, and they went and scored another goal to seal the game. The stunning counter-attack was started by substitute Robin van Persie, who played it to Wesley Schneider. He then played it over the top to Giovanni van Bronckhorst, who was again thinking, yeah, I fancy a bit of that forward life. He squared to Dirk Kout, who tried to loft it over Buffon, and failed with the keeper saving. However, he got the ball back, crossed it to the back post where Van Bronckhorst was on hand to head it in. Not a bad match for him, eh? That was it, 3-0, just under 10 minutes left, and there was nothing the Italians could do, really. The Dutch, meanwhile, nearly even rubbed salt in the wounds of the poor Italians, with Van Persie and fellow substitute Affili both going close with spectacular efforts. The full-time whistle then blew shortly afterwards, and that was it. Full-time. The Netherlands 3, Italy 0. Not bad, eh? To make matters even better for the Dutch, France had drawn to Romania in a pretty awful affair. So Van Basten's team had control of the group pretty comfortably. Next up was the team that Italy had beaten in the World Cup final, France. Hey, if the Dutch can beat the champions 3-0, just what can they do to the runners-up? Unsurprisingly for the game against France, Van Basten opted not to change any of his lineup. However, this was the game where he showed just what he can do with that ridiculously strong bench he has. It was another dream start for the Dutch, as after just 9 minutes, Dirk Kout headed in from a Raphael van der Vaart corner to put them 1-0 up. However, France didn't crumble quite as spectacularly as Italy, getting a hold on the game and actually being the more threatening of the team in the first half after the Kout opener. 
Van Basten was not particularly pleased with this, of course, and decided at half-time to make a rather attacking change. Orlando Engelhardt, the defensive midfielder, was subbed off, and Ian Robin was subbed on. Raphael van der Vaart moved alongside Nigel de Jong to hold in mid, Schneider moved to number 10, and Ian Robin lined up on the left wing. Yes, this was in the days before he was just some dude who played on the right, cut inside onto his left foot and fired balls into the back of the net. Initially, however, it looked like the substitution had been a bit too attacking, maybe a bit too naive from Van Basten. France picked up where they left off and dominated the midfield, who had clearly missed the defensive discipline of Engelard. On 53 minutes, Thierry Henry was sent through on goal by uh, Florent Malouda, the Chelsea player at the time. Most in the world would have bet on Henry comfortably finishing it, but he tried to lob the ball over Van der Sar into the back of the net, but could only manage in lobbing it over the bar. The Netherlands then took advantage of that miss to add a second just minutes later. Roman van Persie had come on for Dirk Kout and made an instant impact. Around the halfway line, the ball was set to go out of play when Ruud van Nistelrooy kept it in beautifully with a roulette. Not only did he keep it in, but he actually played it straight through to Iron Robin, who used his searing pace to get to the byline and square for Robin van Persie, who stroked the ball into the back of the net. In the blink of an eye, it was 2-0 to the Dutch. France was still in the game and gave themselves a lifeline just 19 minutes later though when Thierry Henry finally did beat Van der Sar with the faintest of touches from a superb cross. However, that didn't particularly worry the Dutch fans. It could have, but they ended up scoring immediately from kickoff. Wesley Schneider ended up with the ball just past the halfway line, played a beautiful through ball for Iron Robin, who picked it up on the left-hand side of the box and somehow fired in from a ridiculously tight angle. Not too sure how he did that, and I'm sure Coupe probably still has nightmares about it to this day. Regardless, that was 3-1 to the Dutch, and victory looked pretty comfortable at that point. Things almost got even better just minutes later when Nigel de Jong played an incredible pass. Weird thought, isn't it? Yes, Nigel de Jong played an incredible pass over the top for Van Estro, who tried a loop ahead over Coupe, but just about had it kept out. They did eventually get their fourth though just before the end of the night, with Wesley Schneider receiving the ball just on the edge of the box, turning onto his right foot and slamming the ball into the top corner in injury time of the game. That was it. The Netherlands 4, France 1. Yeah, their first two matches they beat Italy 3-0 and France 4-1. At this point they looked like the best team at the tournament and Spain were the only team really that looked like they could pose a threat to the Dutch. The next game was to be Romania and they could rest some players. It's all going to work out, right? Whether you know the answer to that or not, we'll pick it up in a bit. But now, you're going to have a break from my voice and listen to someone else's. Yes, this is an interview with Jeroen Janssen of the Total Football Festival. Jeroen is one of the people behind it and, well, I'll let him talk about what it is. We're also going to hear about his memories of this tournament specifically, which, warning, you might get some spoilers for what's to come. You're obviously, you're one of the people behind Total Football Festival, so do you just want to uh, maybe tell everyone about that, what it is? Yes, Total Football Festival is a uh, is an annual festival in Amsterdam, and it uh, celebrates football culture and football cult. We do this by uh, screening documentaries, films, inviting interesting people who talk about uh, football who give monologues uh, and every year we have a theme so last edition we had the theme rivals and um, that that turned out to be a good theme when did you uh, when did you start it when did it start happening 
Yes, uh, we the first edition uh, was in 2013, and it, well, it, it turned out that in the Netherlands at that time there was no festival like this. We, me, and Martin Tuinega, my uh, my football friend, we uh, went to London earlier that year to see uh, a similar festival, and we we also noticed that in other places in the world festivals like this were held. So we decided let's not wait anymore. Let's let's do this also in uh, in the Netherlands. So I guess that's uh, that's why you started it. Really, you saw it in other countries, and you thought. Uh... Holland should have something like that. Yeah, yes, and uh, actually, we the, the other the other festivals were basically film festivals, so football film festivals, and we decided that uh, we wanted to organize a little bit uh, broader festival, so not only films and documentaries, but also other forms of football uh, culture. So we invited uh, football writers and uh, we, uh, football music. So so we had uh, photography uh, also, and that turned out to 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 work really well. And therefore, our festival is not a football film festival, but it's a it's a total football festival. <laughs> that that's basically it. <laughs> Do you, you you obviously mentioned uh, you 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 always try to get guests. Have you got a particular? Uh, I looked at the website. There's a pretty cool list of uh, guests that you've had appear at the festival since you started it. Do you have yes. a, any uh, particular yes. favourites? My personal favourite was uh, Willem van Hanegem. Well, he was an amazing guest, and uh, actually, uh, I, I I also had the privilege to to bring him bring him home afterwards. <laughs> and uh, that uh, car drive was uh, the best drive uh, in my life. Yeah. Uh, he, he he turned out to be exactly the same man as he was in front of a of a big audience. He uh, actually, I think, Willem is always the same person, and uh, we had a great uh, uh, great time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Have you got uh, any any plans for the future? What sort of themes you want to do? What kind of guests you'd like to have on? Yeah, we're always aiming for uh, big football stars, but uh, that has always been very difficult, partly because we don't have any budget. <laughs> <laughs> so people people really need to uh, be motivated to come to us because we, we cannot pay them. But on the other hand, uh, famous football stars uh, should not have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh yeah, we also like to invite the big agent i forgot his name the uh the dutch italian uh, guy oh yeah uh, uh, is it raiola yes raiola yeah. he has a, he, i think he has a lot to to tell we would like to invite him as well but it hasn't uh, it has it has not uh, happened yet so it's uh 2013 it started and i think yeah. you you mentioned at first the themes were uh, countries yes so the first five editions, we had a country theme, Argentina, Germany, England, Italy. Well, I forgot something. No. Well, anyway. And uh, after that, we decided to to choose uh, different themes. And um, yeah, that, that works really well to have a theme. The In terms of the, the audience you get at the festivals, have you noticed, is it largely the, uh, do you get a lot of people returning after coming one year? Well, I must be uh, honest here. Uh, that's a little bit painful for us that uh, people tend to be really uh, enthusiastic when they're there. And uh, 
but um, we have not been able to to grow the the, the number of visitors yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we usually have about 200 uh, visitors, so we're a very small festival. Apparently, it's a it's a niche. It's a real small niche. Uh, nevertheless, we were happy to organize it, and uh, the people who who do come, they are usually very uh, very happy and enthusiastic. And you said it uh, takes takes place in Amsterdam every year. Yeah, we we we've we've had some editions outside Amsterdam in Utrecht and in Haarlem. However, uh, the Melkweg turns out to be a good place, and they they are very um, helpful as well. I think uh, I think you mentioned uh, that you're a Feyenoord fan and your colleagues are Ajax fans. So uh, how, yes. how how does that uh, how does that work out? I think it's uh, it's a great mix, <laughs> and um, for us it's no problem at all. We're friends, and we also in the in the past years we've had some of our uh, visitors. They are uh, huge Ajax fans, and some of them are huge Feyenoord fans. And they uh, they turned out to be to become friends. So they uh, some of them visited Ajax Feyenoord or Feyenoord Ajax together. They can, they also have great stories about that, and uh, well, it's really positive to to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's yeah. all about, I guess. I was l- yeah. looking on the website as well. I saw a, f- a few other things. Uh, you did. Uh, am I right in saying you did a um, a podcast award for a Dutch football podcast? Yes. Uh, last edition we. Um, we decided to uh, to do this, and gave quite a uh, a buzz in in the Dutch uh, football podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there were three runners up, three uh, finalists, and they they came to the uh, festival. And I think the jury uh, chose a really really beautiful podcast, Vice Sports. And these podcasts are are really uh, exceptional, in my opinion. Uh, by the way, I think we will organize it again, Dutch Football Podcast uh, Award, and we we are already thinking about the the theme. Yeah. So j- just uh, moving on, the, the, this episode, I'm telling the story of Euro 2008 in it. So I just wondered what were your uh, what were your memories of that tournament? Yeah, it, it turned out to be a, a special tournament for the Dutch, uh, although they were uh, eliminated in the quarterfinals by Russia. Because, in my opinion, they played uh, one of the best games in the history of uh, Oranje, especially against uh, France and Italy. I remember that they even played well against the Russians, but uh, somehow the Russians played even better. Well, they they, they scored some brilliant goals. The coach was Marco van Basten, who uh, later on turned out not to be a very successful coach. But at that time, uh, he was very successful. Or Oranje played really attractive. And uh, I think we were a little bit unlucky that we faced the Russians who were in an uh, extremely good period. Do those matches uh, against France and Italy, are they uh, some of your favourites since you've uh, been supporting the team? Well, I, I, I prefer the, the match against Italy, especially the role of Gio van Bronckhorst. He played really, uh, really well. He At one point, he kicks out the ball from the goal line and uh, about 15 seconds later he provides the the cross that eventually um, Wesley uh, Schneider scores from that's that was really amazing yeah 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 there's obviously 
often a, a debate with uh, with Dutch fans of is it better to play beautiful football like we did in, against Italy and France and lose, or maybe play worse football such as in 2010 and uh, do better. Would you would you have rather not not played as nice football in that tournament and won, or uh, are you are you still happy with how it went? Well, if I have to choose, I'd prefer to win <laughs> with uh, not a, not attractive football. Maybe because I'm a Feyenoord fan. <laughs> so uh, for me, uh, it's not that hard to make that choice. But of course, if you were able to to win that tournament with that kind of football, that would have been uh, <laughs> amazing. No, but uh, I have to be honest, uh, I'd rather win ugly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've had many arguments from my family who uh, who think differently, but yeah, I'd rather win. Yeah. But, uh, be, be, our best case scenario is winning, playing good football. But uh, maybe that'll happen yeah. in Euro twenty twenty. Do you uh, do you think Holland have yeah. a chance of winning that? Um, I must say I have a lot of trust in uh, in the coach in Ronald Koeman, and uh, so I I would say we uh, we could become the dark horse. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I got to be optimistic, <laughs> I guess. So just uh, just to end things, can uh, is there a total football festival? Are you on uh, social media where people listening to this can find you? Yes, um, we're having a Twitter account, Facebook account, and also an Instagram account. Total football festival, you will find it. No, uh, it, it should not be difficult. Please follow us. I saw as well that you've uh, put a put some T-shirts up for sale. Yes, we are during the last. Uh, edition we had the privilege of uh, having Barry Pirovano designing a uh, a logo for us and uh, and we made some uh, shirts and uh, crew necks and people who like it they can order it uh, until the 16th of February that will be the final possibility yeah okay great well uh, thanks very much for talking to us Thank you very much, uh, Finley, and good luck with the with the podcast. So that was Jeroen Janssen of Total Football Festival. Thanks very much to Jeroen for speaking with us, and be sure to follow Total Football Festival on all their social media platforms. Hey, maybe even head over next year. Anyway, back to Euro 2008, and sadly we've, well, got through all the fun parts, really. Um, yeah, the Dutch had obviously had a stunning first two matches, playing the best football that anyone had seen in years. And next up was Romania. I mean, the Dutch were already qualified at this point and guaranteed top spot, so unsurprisingly Van Basten opted to rest his star players. Martin Stecklenburg started in goal, Tim De Kler at left-back, Wilfred Boomer and Johnny Heitinger centre-backs, and Bularus at right-back. Orlando Engelar and Demi Dezeo were at holding mid, Ian Robin and Ibrahim Afalai played out wide. Van Persie was number 10, just behind Klaas-Jan Huntelaar. Van Basten and co. had struggled against Romania in the qualifiers through 2008, and, somewhat surprisingly, they struggled again here, much more so than against Italy or France. Football, eh? In all fairness, unlike the Dutch, the Romanians did have something to play for. They knew that if they were to beat the Dutch, then they'd qualify in second place in the group. It's not all that surprising then, that the first half was a cautious one. Romania didn't want to fall behind, and the Dutch had no reason to go for it. In the first two matches, they'd largely sat back and hit their teams in the counter-attack, so they're just waiting to be able to do the same against Romania here. Therefore, chances were few and far between. Mutu went close for Romania on two occasions, 
Well, Iron Robin had Holland's big chance after being played through by Klaas Jan Huntelaar. However, none of them came to fruition, and at half-time it was nil-nil with very little action to speak of. The Dutch surely expected Romania to come out a bit more attacking in the second half, considering they needed a win, but they didn't. They instead sat back and waited. Eventually, the Dutch decided to throw caution to the wind themselves and were rewarded. On the 54th minute, Ibrahim Afalai found himself with the ball in a dangerous position on the right-hand side, and he squared across goal for Klaas-Jan Huntelaar to score his first ever goal in a major tournament for the Netherlands. Now that they were behind, Romania finally decided to attack, which the Dutch wanted. As the Romanian threw man after man forward, the Dutch simply sat back and waited to execute another one of their lethal counter-attacks. Which is three minutes to go, they got this opportunity, and Roman van Persie converted his second goal of the tournament to finish the game 2-0, ensuring the Dutch ended the group stages with a perfect record. Nine goals, one conceded. Not bad. So, that was the group stages for the Dutch, and it had featured two matches that would go down in history as some of the best Holland they ever played. With a win against Romania, which allowed some of the first-team players to rest their legs as well, the Dutch looked in good shape for what should have been a fairly straightforward quarter-final against Russia. Yes, Russia had looked impressive. They had Gus Hiddink as manager, who of course had managed Holland in 1998 and got them to a World Cup semi-final. They had the impressive Andrea Arshavin, who had been one of the players of the tournament at that point. But ultimately, it was Russia. I mean, come on, how hard can it be? We'd beaten France and Italy. Russia? <laughs> Easy. This complacency was perhaps what led to the Dutch crashing out at this stage. Many in the team, and the fans, including myself, if I'm being completely honest, were already thinking ahead to a semi-final clash against Spain, which, in effect, was supposedly a final. I mean, they were the two best teams at the tournament. The other spot in the final was perhaps going to be Germany. And Dutch fans, players, staff alike, were all licking their lips at the prospect of beating Germany in a European Championship final. Van Basten opted to revert back to his tried-and-tested lineup. In, in the 2006 World Cup, he actually drew criticism for dropping Ruud van Nistelrooy for the last 16 tie against Portugal and had seemingly learnt his lesson with the Real Madrid striker holding his place here. Just to reiterate, the goalkeeper was van der Sar, the back four was van Bronckhorst, Matthijssen, Oya, Bullerus. Holding midfields were Engelaar and de Jong. And the three behind Ruud van Nistelrooy were Wesley Schneider, Raphael van der Vaart and Dirk Kout. Immediately, Russia showed that they were a force to be reckoned with. They exposed the Dutch fullbacks Van Bronckhorst and Bullerus and came close through Roman Pavlyuchenko with a header. Ruud van Nistelrooy had the biggest chance of the first half as he somehow missed a complete tap-in from a free kick. Uh, if he scored that, hey, maybe things would have gone differently. After this chance, Russia twice came close themselves and the Dutch were bailed out by their captain, fantastic van der Sar. First, Arshavin cruised past Oya in, into the box and curled a right foot shot towards the top right corner which van der Sar had to tip away. Then, twice in two minutes, Dennis Collodon hit two ridiculous efforts from 35 yards at van der Sar. The first with the Dutchman tipped over, and the second which flew just inches over the bar itself. At halftime, it was nil-nil, and Van Busten clearly thought that changes were needed. Dirk Hout, who'd struggled, was brought off, and Roman van Persie came on. However, this did raise eyebrows. Dirk Hout was a far more defensive player, and had actually been helping out Bullerus, who was struggling himself. 11 minutes into the second half and Russia took what was quite frankly a deserved lead after Sergi Semak ran down the left and crossed in for Roman Pavlyuchenko to finish. This was the first time that the Dutch had been behind all tournament. 
They threw they threw numbers forward, which they hadn't been doing at all all tournament. They'd been sitting back, waiting for the other team to do just that, and counter-attacked. So their style that they'd mastered so well didn't really suit being behind in a game. The Russians, on the other hand, were doing just what the Dutch had done so well against France and Italy, counter-attacking with devastating pace. If not for Edwin van der Sar's ridiculous quality, then they probably would have scored another goal and sent the Dutch out. However, with just four minutes left, the Netherlands had a free kick on the far left-hand side. Wesley Schneider crossed it in, and Van Estroy headed in a classic Van Estroy goal with a diving header from a few yards out. That was 1-1, and it looked set to go to extra time. However, that wasn't the action done for the 90 minutes. Russian defender Kolodon, yeah, the bloke who loved to smash 35-yard power drivers, was actually sent off for a second yellow card due to a foul on Schneider. However, one of the referee's assistants told him, whether that was wrong or not, no comment, that Schneider had actually failed to keep the ball in play, meaning that Colladon's foul didn't stand and neither did his second yellow card. This brought an end to the 90 minutes and extra time was to come. With the, with Holland's strength and depth, they were surely the favourites to go through here. However, Russia clearly didn't get the script. First, Roman Pavlyuchenko hit the bar himself, before Andrei Oshavin, who had been terrorising the Dutch defence all night at this point, he seems a nice bloke, but I was sick of the sight of him, danced through the defence, around two tackles, squared it for a substitute Torbinski to shoot straight at van der Sar, who had, along with Oshavin, been the standout player of the match. Russia continued to attack, and there's nothing the Dutch could do to get out of their own half. Again, Oshavin picked the ball up down the left, cruised past Johnny Heitinger and put a tantalising cross over van der Sar and into the path of Torbinski, who poked in to make it 2-1. There were just seven minutes left when Torbinski sent Russia into the lead and now the Dutch had little choice but to go for it themselves. They'd already made their three substitutions, Van Persie, Heitinger and Afalai, which means they couldn't have bought on the likes of Iron Robin or Klaas-Jan Huntela, the former of whom surely would have made a difference in that sort of match. With the players they had on the pitch, they struggled to create any clear chances, and again Russia counter-attack with devastating results. Arshavin finally got the goal he deserved in the 116th minute, as he latched onto a throw-in and fired past Edwin van der Sar to make it 3-1. That was that. Russia, of course, went on to make the semi-finals before losing to Spain, who, of course, went on to win before beating the Dutch in the World Cup final two years later. But... I'm not going to talk about that, or I might just break down. The end of the tournament rang huge changes for the national team. Marco van Basten resigned as manager, and Bert van Marwijk was appointed, while Edwin van der Sar, the captain, retired from international football, with Giovanni van Bronckhorst taking the armband instead. It would also turn out to be the final major tournament that Ruud van Nistelrooy played for the team, as the generation of Robin, Kaut, van Persie, Schneider and Hintela took on the mantle left. Looking back on it, 12 years later, it was a mixed tournament really. Obviously, the fact that they'd only got to the quarterfinals was hugely disappointing, especially considering the squad they had and the football that they proved they were capable of playing. However, they'd started it with two stunning performances against France and Italy that, to be honest, I wouldn't trade for the world. Obviously, they did far worse at this tournament than the 2010 World Cup, but you could even argue that this was more enjoyable just for those wins against Italy and France alone. Anyway, that's it. The story of Euro 2008. Join me again here on the Clockwork Aranya podcast for the next episode in which I'll tell you the story of another European championship. By the time we get to June, I would have talked you through all of my favourites and I'll be doing a preview podcast of that tournament. 
In the meantime, make sure to keep an eye on Clockwork around your website for various features about the national team. Follow us on Twitter at Clockwork Aranya and Facebook in the same name and follow myself on Twitter at Finn Kroboda. That's at Finn Kroboda. Thanks very much for listening. See you soon. And as always, hop Holland. Bye. <laughs>